And we are live with our 125th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at, wait, is it, was it 125? Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Actually. Okay. You're, yeah, you have, you have me like spooked I, I for a second. I messed you up, sorry. <laughs> I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter and joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I don't, I don't think Ken and I ever really thought that we were going to make it to 125, but we have. So um, it just it just goes to show you that you know, we talk way more than we realized and have are way more opinionated about this stuff than I, I think we, yeah. No, I think we always knew we were opinionated. It was just whether or not we had, you know, enough to talk about. And I know we haven't had guests on for a while. Uh, we we do have invites out to a couple of people, and we're going to be talking to a few. Um, there's always stuff that's going on. There's been some interesting things happen in the last couple of days with GitHub. Ken's going to talk to that here momentarily. Uh, the, the, the first thing that I wanted to talk about, though, was the, the article that I tweeted out about yesterday. Um, there was a couple of things about it, but what caught my eye initially, right? Let me share this out quick. And I did post this in Slack as well, right? Um, from, yeah, maybe I'll share it quick. I'm trying to decide. Yeah, you might as well. Yeah. Okay. All right, let me close down your tabs. Screen. Okay. Here we go. All right. All right. So tech companies say they can't find good employees. Companies may be a problem. I, I mean, I think we've talked about uh, interviewing in the past as it is, right? Finding a fit for people and things like that. But this is, that is not what caught my eye on this. I'm pretty sure this came up in my feed, like Apple News or Google News or something like that. And it's code. Like this is the danger of doing code review so often is anytime that there's code that pops up. And I don't know, Ken, if you have this problem as well. Like if I go to a GitHub repo, I go to anything like that, I, in, I instantly start to analyze it for flaws, right? That's just kind of my baseline when it goes to it. And the fact that this popped up as a dollar sign SQL right in front of my face was just a, you know, a blatant disregard to actual like, input validation or i mean this is a classic case of sql injection and the fact that they're using it in this article to represent you know oh you know you can find good good employees if they diagram things out on the whiteboard which again like i have huge issues with but the example that they're showing is blatant sql injection it's just like it's the epitome of like so many things wrong in this case right um yeah, I, I mean, it's like they took it from Stack Overflow. That's that's all that there is to it, right? <laughs> yeah, well, the irony of it, uh, uh, yeah, the companies yeah, may be I, the problem I, and they show that. Yeah, no, I also like the hiring process could be weeding out able workers, especially women and minorities, the technical interview process, which involves putting people on spot to solve them. You know what? I agree with, uh, I mean, I don't know how it especially women and minorities affects them because it affected me. Like I definitely hate being put on the spot. I won't mention the company, but it's a pretty large company. And, uh, I had, they had flown me out to the West coast interview process. And, uh, 
there were like several interviews up to the point where we got into like of a whiteboarding session that had been, by the time I was done, I was super annoyed with those interviews. And uh, also like I was super tired and had jet lag and they wanted me like there in the morning. And it was just, the whole day was very jarring. And then this is at the end of the day, they wanted to do these on the spot exercises. And the, also the, the um, like the interview uh, little rubric they used was incomplete. Like they showed me code that was incomplete. Like I, they're like, what's the vulnerability? I was like, I don't know where, where does this method go? And they're like, well, you just have to kind of guess what that method would do. And I was like, well, there's a lot of things that could go wrong in that method. You have to kind of narrow it down. And then I, I forget what the, what it came out to be, but it was just like, I hate those interviews. I think on the spot, like I interviewed uh, Mike McCabe uh, for living social. Right. So like yeah. when I interviewed him, what I did was I challenged him with like hard, cause at, this is the thing about when you hire younger people or younger, not younger, less experienced people. Age has nothing to do with it. experience has everything to do with it. Yeah. So when you, uh, cause he and I are almost the same age, but he, he was less experienced at the time. So, um, you know, you kind of have to go off of like, how does this person's mind work? So what I, what I did with him and he can talk to it is I just gave him hard problems and just walked away. And it's like, you know what? I'll be back, have coffee, have water, just, you know, if you do have any questions, I'll be right over there. Uh, but like, think through it and we can talk through it. And it was nothing super complex. It was just more of like engaging, you know, critical thinking skills. But like on the spot, I think is the worst thing because you're really testing somebody on how well they can. Uh, I don't know how we got off, by the way, off topic, because this was about SQL injection, but. No, no, it's fine. To, no, to no, your no, point about not. being opinionated. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's both of these things, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I just think it's like uh, the worst way to interview someone unless you're interviewing for uh, like a high pressure job that you need someone to think under like really like stressful conditions. In that case, you know, if that's what you're going for, great. But it, I mean, I don't know if like I day to day see much need for uh, someone to be put under the glaring eyes of an interviewer while they do their work. I just think it's silly. I, I, I it's always do that in coding interviews too, right? Like, I mean, like why, why are you having me write code on a whiteboard? Right? Like pseudocode, I can kind of understand, but right. you know, if I don't have a compiler, I don't have an IDE. Every one of you that's sitting in that room uses an IDE, uses auto completion, uses the fact that the libraries actually flush things out, right? Like this is not how coding happens. And it also isn't how uh, like secure code review happens either, right? Like it was just, yeah. But, oh, but I know, right? Like being put on the spot and like, oh, show me how to do a, you know, a whatever, a, black, red tree sort, right? Do it on the board. I, I'm like, okay, what does that prove, right? I, like, yeah, you know, you don't have Google, you don't have these other resources. I mean, hell, half of you in this room are using Stack Overflow or a library to do that kind of thing, right? Like, I, it always made me want to go to the board and just write, like, function, like, black tree sort, and then, like, prove that that, fu that, fi that function doesn't exist, right? Like, wh why do I have to actually go and do that? because it's a solved problem, so. Yeah, actually part of why I was annoyed that same day I was telling you about was for that reason. They were like code right in front of me and I was like, okay, cool, not a problem, whatever. I mean, that's like not a big deal. What was a big deal is I had brought my laptop and my laptop was jacked up. Like 
it was an old laptop. This is, I was genuinely waiting for my new one to come in because this one kept just randomly dying. I think it was a battery issue. doesn't matter. So they handed me their laptop to work on, which is fine. But unfortunately, it was like super vanilla, right? So like doing anything on this laptop, like to even write code was a pain. Um, and I think I was doing it in like Python or Ruby or something and the environment wasn't set up correctly. And it was just like, Oh, and because of all this, as I'm like dealing with it and using hotkeys that I'm just so ingrained in my muscle memory, uh, it's causing like, you know, issues. And meanwhile, the interviews interviewers physically right next to me. And he's like stopping me every two seconds because these hotkeys I'm hitting are like causing, you know, like weird, weird behavior on the laptop. And he, and he thinks it's like a coding issue or something like that. Like, I don't, it was so, it was so pissed me, that they pissed me off so bad. I will never recommend anyone go to that company if they ever asked me. The interview process was broken. Turns out the company has had like lots of issues since then anyway. So I'm glad I didn't go there, but um, it was for a friend, friend who wanted me to interview there. So yeah. anyways, uh, yeah, it was, it was just, I don't, I don't, I, and I think at the end of the day, like their comments um, were, were sort of like, oh yeah, this guy, you know, lacks this, that, and the other, which were like basic skills, which I've proven, you know, publicly many times over, uh, that, that that's not an issue. And I think that that, what I'm trying to say is there's obviously a critical failure in the interview process, yeah. like critical failure in multiple steps. I, you know, I was so annoyed. I didn't even really like go back with them on it, but, uh, don't do that to people. Don't put them on the spot especially if you've flown them across the country and had them come in early. Don't do that stuff. That's ridiculous. You're, what are you getting out of that? <laughs> oh, how do you feel no, about no, take on tests? Oh, I, good question. I, I have lots of thoughts on that too, Seth. Yeah, no, I, and like, I, I go back to it, right? Like it's almost, it, it, it's almost a, an imposter syndrome issue on the side of the interviewers, not the interviewee. Right. Like yeah. those that are conducting the interview have to prove that they, they know better. Right. Like asking someone what like a regex is to, you know, find something right on the spot. Like those kind of like gotcha questions don't necessarily show aptitude. They show very specific experience. And it's just not the sort of thing that and that, that comes up in most situations especially without the use of the internet, without the, out the use of resources. And so Derek asked this question in Slack, right? Then how do you guys feel about take-home tests? I, th I think you and I are both more apt to do something along those lines because it does show what someone can put together with all their normal resources together, right? So exactly. they're able to, yeah, they're able to go to Google. They can write that regex. Um, Right. It, 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 it's so hard it, within the context of four hours even to be like, hey, go and assess this code. Right. Like you and I talk about this for code review all the time is you've got to give yourself adequate time and you've got to give yourself adequate. Like preparation to do some of these and under the gun like that, like it, it's not often like you. We're never hacking something under the gun. Right. Or we're never like oh, you've only got, you know, the next 20 minutes to find this flaw. Otherwise, you know, you're, someone's going to die, right? Like the, the situation out of, I can't even remember what movie it was, you know, one of those where somebody's got to hack. Swordfish. What? Swordfish? Is that what it is? Gun yeah, to the yeah. head. Yeah, exactly, right? Like someone's going to die unless you hack this. 
Like that's it, it, just not realistic. So, yeah. and, and yeah, in this case, it's not realistic either. Um, language specific questions. I, I think from a general perspective, Derek, right? Like I, I would rather see solid principles, right? Um, like I, I like to ask people, okay, what's your favorite language? Okay, explain to me like the approach that you would take for something, not the specifics, um, rather than you know a specific. Hey, MySQL query in this case is deprecated, right? So, I, yeah, I, I just have a hard time with it, right? If you've got to give someone adequate time, you've got to give someone the ability to showcase their their talents in a way that is appropriate for the job, right? Nowadays, like something take home, guess what? Go work in your own environment for the next three days or actually give them the ability, hey, you know, we're going to make a decision in the next week. How long do you think this would take you, right? Like give them the ability to actually scope out the work that's going to make a, that's going to make a huge difference because that's what they're doing on a daily basis right yeah anyway that yeah we, we're off on interviewing and uh, it was just funny that this popped up and if you look at it it's like a stock photo from getty images um my favorite part of it is the fact that you know they numbered the lines right so they're going to have a discussion around this any numbers line three that has nothing on it, right? Like it just, I'm like, what, what are we doing here? Right? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, I did want to point out that on the take home, cause we do take home tests for, uh, at GitHub yeah. and we do, we do put uh, time limits that we recommend that you stick to. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, or that we ask that you stick to. So there is a duration. And the reason is, is obviously we need to have some sort of an idea of what you can accomplish within a given time set. Do people follow that? I don't know. I did, but I don't know if everyone does. Um, but what I can say is when we get to the, cause there might be, I'm just trying to think of like people that might say, argue against this methodology or this approach, you know, they might, someone might say, Hey, then how do you really know if they take the test home and they do the work that they understand it? Well, the answer is pretty simple. We do a follow-up interview covering all of it. We dig in. Um, we ask, you know, how did you discover this? What's your normal process? How would you fix this? Which you can't, you can't just make that up on this. I mean, I guess you could ahead of time ask someone else, but it would be pretty hard the way we do it because we start digging into nuances to make sure you as an individual understand it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you could say you can make an argument that potential there's a potential to cheat. Also, keep in mind that at, at any job, though, you still have to do the job, right? Like there's going to be 90 days of um, usually most companies have like a 90 day window where it can be like, hey, we're just mutually doesn't work. That's mostly to cover everybody. And most companies have that. So at the end of the day, if it doesn't work, uh, it doesn't work. But um, that I've I've never had that. I've never seen that happen. I've, that's never been an issue. So. Yeah, whatever. I just want yeah. to kind of expand upon that. I mean, it's one For thing. The naysayers right? I'm making up in my own head. Yeah, <laughs> naysayers. I don't know, like you know, uh, you know what? Yeah, the research square. We're gonna have to go look at that, Derek. Um, but the you know, thirty minutes doing X Y Z use interfaces takes four hours. I don't. I don't think that's bad, right? Like. Personally, especially if it's some sort of take-home thing, um, I always kind of view those like for me as a you know almost a learning opportunity as well, right? Oh, hey, you know maybe there's some skill in here that I need to improve on as well. Um, 
like, you know, you're, you're going for a job, you want to showcase your abilities, but you also want to showcase, hey, I, I know that I'm weak in this X area. How do I improve myself, right? Um, and that's something as an interviewer, I would be looking for, right? I would be looking for, hey, you didn't know this when you walked into it, right? Hey, maybe you go looked up, you went and looked up MySQL query and we're like, hey, this wasn't the best way to do it. So I approached it differently. I had to go learn something new. But at the very least, I actually did some research and this is what I'm going to do on a daily basis. Yeah. Shows interest in initiative. Exactly, Lee. So. So just real quick before you move on to another topic, Seth, I wanted to say, well, first of all, uh, Derek and Larry have uh, gotten their um, or your swag should get there today or tomorrow. I think I had mentioned that. But for those that are watching right now, if you by one o'clock Eastern Standard Time, you have 40 more minutes. If you send me an email and you give me your T-shirt sizes and your address to send these to, I will give you some swag. So just a you got a 40 minute window. This is for those that are watching live uh, to send in your request to. Oh, yeah. Email. So absoluteappsec at gmail.com, absoluteappsec at gmail.com. Or you can DM us or me uh, in Slack, uh, in our Absolute AppSec Slack. So if you're watching live and you're not Derek and Larry who already are getting their swag, uh, boom, there you go. <laughs> he just excluded you, Derek, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Well, because I don't have it. When I have new swag, we can update. But for now, it's the same. Uh, hold on. The, I have two different shirts here. There's one that is a traditional ab, absolute absec one. And then there is our fancy dancy. Not, not a lot of, this is the more limited edition one. Not a lot of people have magic time. <laughs> so anyways. Shout out to Hong for helping us put but, that together. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Hong. Yeah, so we've got buttons and stickers also in that, those packages. So, anyways, since we yeah, since we're not making it to conferences right now, we're sending the stuff out. So, you know, yeah, you know, you, you may be able to catch us at a different time, you know, and we'll send you as well. But um, yeah, so that that was interviewing and SQL injection and code review. I, you know, like I, I never like to jump down the the rabbit hole too quickly at times but you know when someone displays code right in my news feed i you know you got to do it right you got to jump into it yep yeah okay so uh next up on the list let's talk github you guys had well it's not a cve it's been going around a few slack channels i've seen it's been on twitter um, but let's talk about it a little bit because it caused like everybody got bogged out, right? That's, that's the, the takeaway from GitHub. Um, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, you're right. Everybody got logged out, um, out of an abundance of caution. This was a weird one. Actually, it was like, uh, folks on the team I'm on, um, who was one, one person on the team, uh, who really dug in deep on this one, um, Brent. And so, man, it took up like the entire week trying to dig and troubleshoot this one. Uh, it's really weird. And um, I want to be very clear. I'm watching this as an observer. I don't, this is not me personally. I'm just passing info along because again, I want to be like very, it, it was a bunch of people 
at GitHub that worked on this one. Um, but what had happened, we had this weird situation where it was basically an issue with concurrency and threading, right? And I'm not going to go into all the specifics because I'm, I'm not sure what I'm, I'm allowed to, to talk about, but um, there was a concurrency issue uh, and in a small percentage. And, and what I know to be public, I'll, I'll, I'll reiterate, in the, um, so in a very, 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 very small percentage, and I mean like a very weird, minuscule percentage of cases, the session for another, you would basically get a session for another user, right? What would happen is, uh, um, what can I share? Um, you can share it all. That's yeah, yeah, sure, I'm sure, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure you'd love that. Uh, no, so it's just kind of like a, um, a server level issue reaching out to an in-memory database uh, with some concurrency issues um, if you've ever tried to, let's just say this, if you ever tried to do threading and keep an, uh, an object the same, uh, like per thread or not per thread, but per threading exercise, we'll say, and per thread, right? Like shared objects and all that fun stuff. It gets a little complex, right? So yeah. what had happened was somebody basically in uh, Zen or the support, uh, whatever the support mechanism, support ticket mechanism is, reached out and was like, hey, I have to see this weird be behavior. Um, there was another report, I think, and then, uh, I think, and then uh, that was it, I think. Again, I don't remember everything or know all the details, but it was very, very, like, very weird. It was like, this is weird that this one person had this and this other one person had this, I think. And then it was like, well, let's go look into it. And then it became this rabbit hole. And anyways, out of an abundance of caution, just to make sure that you know, nobody still has any latent sessions out there. Um, they were killed off, but yeah, it's, this is just, it's just one of those things that's like affects almost nobody was super random. Uh, that's basically the high level on it. So it's, it, it's probably, it seems cooler than it actually is when you say like, I get logged out 11, uh, you know, or millions of people or whatever it is. Um, and they had like sessions being returned for other people. But again, this is like one, a good one in a gajillion put that on paper. <laughs> it's just so infrequent. Yeah. I, um, I mean, yeah. it goes back to discipline, right? Like, like, honestly, I would rather see this from vendors than the whole usability issue. Right. And you guys, I know over at GitHub, you guys are super security conscious. So, uh, you know, it's yeah. not surprising to me to see, Oh, guess what? This probably doesn't affect you, but we're just being cautious. We're going to log everybody out. We're going to make sure that the concurrency issue doesn't exist across the board and just move on with our lives um, as opposed to, oh, well, you know, there's that one instance where somebody's logged into one of the GitHub apps and you know, I, yeah, it only takes those one that one person to figure out that has happened to cause a huge issue, right? And, and that's where get, we end up with the Capital One breaches with the other you know, not, not to throw too much shade on those guys, but, you know, that's when we don't do the simple stuff like this, it becomes easier the next time to not do it again. And then it leaves those chains, those exploit chains in place. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So it might not be interesting, but, but it is when it comes down to it, right? Like it, I, I'm excited to actually see the the workings behind the scenes and how you guys actually came to those conclusions when they when if and when they become public um yeah because it's a learning experience right for all of us that 
do concurrency on the back end, that have all of these interconnected systems, at times it's hard to see how those vulnerabilities pop up and how they can be exploited or how the issues come about. Um, and without some sort of sharing, right, you know, it may be that, you know, we, we can we can do we can look for this sort of thing in a in a code review or in an architecture review if we know how it actually happens. Yeah, I mean, if it makes the people feel better when that when it was just like even just a one person just being like, hey, I saw this. It was like, stop what we're doing, like dig in, find out if this is like what what is the issue? Who is it affected? I mean, it's there's no to your point, GitHub, obviously, like security is our is a gigantic priority at, at GitHub. Um, and in fact, you know, to, to, to speak to that, that Mike, the, uh, Mike Hanley, the guy um, who's reporting on this, uh, that you see that, that you posted that article from, he's our new CISO. Um, and, you know, GitHub has a strong eye on security. So again, we dropped what we were doing to like take care of this, but uh, it's just so, I mean, I think he said 0.0001% was affected. I mean, it really was like a, just a, a flat out weird thing. And it's interesting with threading and concurrency has always been like uh, just a difficult thing to do as a, as a programmer in general. Um, oh, it is. I, I mean, it's one of those problems that is really hard to solve. Um, yeah. And I, I hear it's easier with Golang, but I mean, no, oh, it's easier yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> Elixir, right? You know, was built around concurrency. Hello, I, Joe. Uh, I fan, fan fanboyed out on Ruby, so now it's time for this decade to focus on Golang, I think. So <laughs> Oh come on, you were you were referencing back to JRuby and Boopy there for a little bit. So uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh I think it's Bobby. How do you say that? Bubby. <laughs> I think it's Bubby, like, you know, like a pacifier. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is that. Uh, I have no idea, actually, how it's pronounced. But I do know, however, that, like, the 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 doing anything with that was such an inconvenience. Like, I, I the only real justification looking back, or two justifications looking back, were that it was a learning experience. Oh, and yeah, for those watching or listening who don't know what we're talking about, in Slack, we were talking about uh, Bubby or however you pronounce it, B-U-B-Y. It was was an extension that allowed you to write code in JRuby, which is a combination of Java and Ruby. Um, And then basically it translated it and did the, the connector work so that you could plug directly into Burp. So you could basically write extensions for Burp in Ruby, but with Java, like a translation layer to Java. But I mean, sorry, I should say the translation layer was was handled by the JRuby language, the translation of like import statements and all that. You could do those interchangeably. What Bubby really did was take the API that Burp exposed and made it work for JRuby related code. So it was kind of like a yeah, an API middleware, if you want to think about it like that. Anyways, it was uh, it was really fun. But uh, the, the second thing besides learning was just that um, it was the, it was uh, it allowed for like, to actually have some threading, kind of. Eh, it, actually, that turned out to be like, not great. But, um, which 
to, to, to our point about it being hard. But the other thing was uh, module loading. Like reflection is now a thing in Java, but at the time, if you want to dynamically load modules, the better way to do it at the time was Ruby. Um, just because you could load code at runtime dynamically and unload it as well. And it drops in and out of memory and it's great. It's great. You can load like all these modules and call them and it's great. I don't know what the point of that was, but yeah, that was a, uh, that I don't think, I don't know if anybody actually does JRuby with, uh, or even if JRuby is much of a thing anymore. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, th I think once they, once the Python scripter stuff came into uh, Burp Suite, right? Like people have moved over to Python there. It was an easier, it was an easier transition for a lot of people. Um, even though some of the other like features that were in JRuby and boo. Bubby, Bubby, I don't know how you how anybody said it. I don't know. I think it's a British I, I, I way of saying very careful, like, Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. But anyway, naming, like, naming and security tools is always weird. Yeah. Yep, it is. Yes, yeah. it's one of those things you can. You're bored and you're coding drunk. It's it's all of the above. There. It's all of the above. I definitely coded some of that stuff drunk, and it's obvious in the code if you looked at if that code. I think John still has a fork of it. Uh, John Poulin, but, uh, yeah. On purpose? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so TLDR, uh, threading is hard. Um, concurrency is hard, yeah. Concurrency is hard. Shit happens. You're safe. Yeah. Sorry, you had to log in again. Uh, yeah, the other thing I thought was cool, man, that I wanted to just bring up was the WordPress hmm. uh, critical O day, but like, uh, there's only like 30,000 installations of this. So I don't want to go off and be like, make it sound worse than it is. But let me post the link here. What I thought was interesting is that this is not the first time this has happened. In fact, let me post a you if I have the YouTube video. So uh, there's this Elementor plugin and the Elementor allows you to enter uh, Elementor plugin for WordPress allows you to like basically drag and drop uh, HTML elements and creates like forms and all that stuff, right? Like, so you can create a login page, uh, and a logout page and a registration page and all that stuff, like really just by dragging and dropping. And it's really useful for that. However, last year, May, I think it was May, it was originally reported in the Elementor plugin. There was this, um, and the YouTube video, which I will find here because I had it pulled up earlier is pretty interesting. It's from WordFence. And basically what they show is the same thing you and I are used to seeing, Seth, which is like the plugins installed, if not, well, actually, I think by default, it's just not configured correctly. And what you can do is it's just it's just the, the thing we've seen a million times. So there's an endpoint for registration. Mm -hmm. And if you can directly hit that endpoint, which I think you've done something similar with Devise. Yeah. I think you went with Devise and Ruby and Rails. Uh, so if you just craft the request that would go off to register a user as if the registration form was there mm -hmm. and substitute it, and this is from back in May, right, of last year, you would substitute a data ID uh, uh, param and value. So the data ID would be like, basically what they show is going to like a search page because uh, a search page, you know, you, you typically have a post request that goes off, which means it needs a nonce. It's going to have a data ID with WordPress. So you take those values, the nonce for the search form and or whatever form and the value for um, 
the data ID elements so that it feels like, so that to the, the framework, it seems like this is a valid request. And you just directly send that post request off with those values. And again, these are the nonce and the data IDs for the search form, but you're using them interchangeably as if you had just sent a post requ request from a registration form. And let me get you the, the link from this. I suspect, I don't see the exact details, but I suspect this is the exact same similar thing that was just improperly patched to begin with. That's what I suspect, but the, the link is there. So let me find this uh, while you're, while I wait for your response, I will uh, look at this, uh, find, find that uh, YouTube video. Yeah, I don't know. I, well, okay. I know I always go back to code review on these things, right? But you know, part of this you can dynamically test as well, um, and it's all because of this like middleware. Like we, we've got so many just kind of like um, pieces that are coming together to form these registration pages, to form these frameworks, and if you're a developer, you know how it works, right? Or if you do a little bit of investigation, like you identify in the case of a Ruby, you know, a Rails application, they're using device, it means that there are a number of endpoints that are available. So even though, and this is the case with Elementor as well, even though you the, the developers or the site owners haven't put together a, you know, a, a front end page for that functionality, it, it still exists. So if you call directly to those those different routes, it's available, right? And you can, at that point, you can do something like Ken is saying, right? Like you can create a new user. You may be able to search the database. You may be able to, you know, pull back unauthorized data that, you know, it, it becomes an easier attack, I guess I should say, um, rather than just, and it, it's a known entity. Um, but I know we, we look at a lot of custom code for this sort of thing, but the frameworks themselves say, I mean, and you can look at Rails, you can look at Django, you can look at all of these others, like it, they, it, it creates and it, it spiders out these endpoints for ease of development. Um, so here's the admin. Okay, you're looking oh, at the video. Don't yes, so sorry, it's actually the widget ID hmm, that... Okay parameter value, which makes sense, right? Because what you're doing is you're saying, well, this is the widget ID that I got this nonce from, and it's probably matching those up. But if it isn't doing that secondary auth authorization check that says this is relevant for that endpoint, that those two val those two values match up, the nonce to the data, to the, sorry, the uh, widget ID, sure. But then they also have to be relevant for the registration form. And I, don't, I wanna be very clear that this is from, or the signup form, or create new user form, whatever it is. It's, it's um, yeah, it's, oh yeah, register a user, right? An admin user, by the way, site admin user. Okay. But again, I wanna be very clear, this is back from May. This is an example from May. Like I just, since there are no like details I could find immediately within like a 10 minute search, I just wanna say, given how they've described it, I predict it's just this with some other thing that they didn't think about. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I mean it's super interesting because you you know how these these are formed. You can set up your own middleware, right? Like your own instance of this to play with, and then exploit it across the board. I, I mean I know you know you're like oh there's only thirty thousand instances of this for WordPress, but I I mean most other frameworks that's a major major flaw, right? Um, yeah. 
I mean, 30,000 yeah. pages, that, that, that's pretty easy to script through and figure out whether or not they're using it. And this, this kind of goes back to WordPress as well, how easy it is to identify what the versions are, what the, like there's the whole WP scan um, project that's able to tell you what modules are installed because of, you know, how they lay things out and it's PHP. There's just, yeah. I, I, yeah. There's a reason why we always bag on PHP and, you know, WordPress. And it's not that it's not usable and it doesn't make things accessible for, you know, semi, you know, experienced developers, but it does expose quite a bit of information. And when something like this pops up, it's very easy to enumerate and to exploit. So. Yeah, it's very easy. And like, yeah, it, this is, I guess, yeah, just, I mean, everything you said, I, I guess they don't, they don't, I don't really have much to add other than like, you should be cognizant of any authentication libraries that you use because they do leave often. This is the case where they do leave like, uh, like it doesn't matter if it's PHP or whatever. They, they'll leave some endpoints typically exposed that you don't know about. And you have to, because I think one of the methodologies we show is just list dumping out every route, not just the routes that you've defined, but using like, uh, show URLs in Python, rake routes in Ruby, etc. Like these are the ways that we find out that these endpoints exist and that are like kind of hidden to you um, and only visible once the the framework's fully loaded and and at its runtime state. Um, and these are just things that you can that can just occur by using a plugin or um, a library. And by the way, going back to this, just to close out this loop, this is basically what they did. So you see there's a walkthrough here, there's a search form. So a search form is gonna send a post request off. It's gonna have a nonce in it, because you know, post requests, anything that's not, uh, considered a HTTP dangerous verb, which is just not get requests. And I think maybe, I don't know. I think, I think they're mostly all dangerous other than get requests. Um, then it requires, it should require a nonce. So then also the other thing here is that they're gonna get this widget ID because this search button is a widget. So they basically inspect the page, grab the data that they need. There's the, the nonce right there. They grab the uh, widget ID and then just plug that uh, stuff in here. So by the time it's done, they craft uh, this little request. You can see that now the widget ID is in there the nonce is in there. Uh, I assume these two values have to match up. Uh, apparently you can send it to any endpoint if that's the case, or at least this endpoint. And then boom, you've just registered a site admin. So that's the full closing out the loop. That's the full attack there. Yeah. So. Well, I, I mean, and actually this one goes back. I, I've had people argue with me about those Ajax endpoints before too, right? Uh, I mean, XML RPC is one thing, um, but that like admin Ajax, right? Like the ability to interact with those uh, RESTful interfaces in WordPress, right? Like they're like, well, you have to be authenticated. I'm like, yeah, not really, because you can use really. those for registration and authentication. And if you've got a flaw like this behind the scenes, all of a sudden you're exposed, right? And so it, it, again, it's that attack surface that we like to talk about. The more that you expose, the larger attack surfaces when something happens. And it's almost guaranteed over the course, especially with WordPress, over the course of a couple of years, that there's gonna be an exploit against one of those components that you have installed. Just, there is. So you've got you've got to limit that attack surface. Anyway, yeah. No. I 
Ditto to what you said. Agreed. You got to limit the attack surface. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, I, With your fancy magic words, Seth. You yeah, sound so smart. Yeah. <laughs> let's go. To, let's go back to confused deputy, right? Concurrency. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Um, you know, I don't have much else to add there. So. Uh, yeah. What What was the other? I think we had one other thing that you had mentioned. We were. We should talk about. I don't remember what it was. Was that from last week? That's been, that's so long ago, man. I don't, you know. No. What do we What do we say? I mean, there was something else that we were gonna talk about. Um. Or, but we, I know we've got a hard stop today. So let me uh just could that I'm just mindful of the time today. That's all. Um. Doo -doo -doo -doo. No, I think that's about it. I think actually, no, I think we got through the other thing we already talked about, which was the interview stuff. I mean, there's been interesting stuff for sure. Like I, I posted over the weekend and which by the way, is something I want to start getting better at. So, um, over the weekend, I took some time to find interesting news. Um, there's no shortage of it. There's always something going on. Um, so we'll continue to keep I think, I mean, I will at least try to, you know, I'll try to post some things that I come across that seem interesting. There's, Again, there's usually never an, a shortage. Um, let's see here. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was it? The, oh, the substitution attack stuff, right? NPM. That was GitHub. Oh, yeah. yes. Yes. So yeah. on that note, yes, the NPM one's interesting just because it was a variation of this similar thing that Ruby Gems did. Um, so it's being explicit about where you, but they did something else. If I could find the article link, I just posted um, it. Um, again. Uh, thanks. Um, cool. Cause that, yeah, that was an interesting one, right? Like how NPM is handling the substitution attacks, right. As opposed to, um, Ow. yeah, as opposed to the Ruby gems perspective. Man, that would have hurt. <laughs> that was a piece of random plastic. Uh, did not feel good. Yeah. Um, oh, right. So they just do the deck. They do a scope declaration, right? So this is, and I'll just share my screen again. Why not? So last week we talked about how Ruby Gems handled it, how they handled it in Bundler. And so for this one, they use scopes. So uh, you would say um, that this particular dependency uh, comes from this scope. And then, um, your scope naming convention, you'd say, this is for this scope, my company only go out to this registry package registry location. It's effectively the same thing. And uh, of course it's, it mentions that it's in your NPM RPC file, that these details get saved. It's effectively the same thing as bundler. It's just di written differently, right? Like the syntax is just a little bit different, but it's basically being very explicit in which package registry it's calling out to for a given dependency. So um, there was something else though, I thought that was, oh, right, right, right. This is the other thing. Cause I didn't realize that people were actually doing this. Um, I probably did the last time I did a package review cause you know, GitHub has packages and I don't know, it was a long time ago. I did the, the review with, uh, with Brent on um, package registry stuff, but uh I don't know. I, maybe maybe I forgot about it and knew it at the time. I don't know. But like, it's interesting to me that when a library is not found in your package registry, people can choose to proxy that request off to then say, well, it's not in ours. So let's go check the wider ecosystems package registry, uh, which they obviously tell you, like, do not do that. You're ruining your protection here when you do that. Um, but yeah, that was just something I wasn't even aware of. And I think it's important to mention. 
Yeah. Yep. Well, I, I, I don't know. I go back and forth on a, a lot of this, right? Because it's, I, I mean, the danger is definitely there, but there's the, the usability and um, a lot of developers don't necessarily like, they've got their like pre, a, like high level, like this is my first import, right? Like my first level import as opposed to the second or the tertiary, the secondary or tertiary imports. Um, and at times it gets difficult to realize, to know what's actually being pulled in. Um, yeah, I, I feel like there's always gonna be a tax for this, especially in development environments, especially on developer machines because of the way we do this, right? I, like, I don't know how you get around it because you've got a, that, that initial, hey, I've got to pull data in from a third party source, you're accepting the danger or the risk that you may end up with a package in there that you didn't intend, right? I, I mean, I like the, the idea of scoping things down. You're not gonna end up with a library that you've developed internally that just wasn't in your you know, artifactory instance um, or whatever else, because you know it's been scoped to your specific company. That's great, but then it's those third-party ones that I always worry about, and that's that seems to be the primary attack vector. I mean, I know it wasn't for that medium post that we read last week or we shared last week, but um, I, I mean, I think you just got to be aware that this is an issue. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, an argument, you know, you could make an argument that, well, if, you know, uh, just write all the libraries, you know, one one solution would be to write all those libraries in-house, but I'd actually argue that's not that's not going to fix, that, that's going to offload your risk to somewhere else, because now you have to make sure you don't have any insider threats or backdoors are written in these libraries. You have less visibility, because it's probably just your security team and maybe whoever decides to look at the plugin that the person wrote. Uh, so, yeah, you're, <laughs> you got a situation where there's less eyes on possibly a security impacting library that's definitely gonna be updated even if you do as an assessor or assessment person or a reviewer, whatever you wanna title, pen tester, whatever title you wanna use. If you review it, it's probably, it could be backdoored later. Um, so it's like, which I know it's like, yeah, but then what are you concerned? You're concerned all your codes backdoor? I know there's, there's many arguments that we could have here. I'm just making yeah. them all up. But uh, I guess I'm trying to say that, you know, there's no, it's a it's a game of pushing knobs on risk and where risk exists and like how to reduce that right so for instance i think it was diligent that ruby gems works with to you know not only do they give you and same with npm give you options to scope down where you're pulling packages from and be very explicit in that but they also use services that do malware scanning to detect those libraries you know ideally you've set up your development pipeline in such a way that you can revert should something nefarious like that get into your pipeline um hopefully you're you've got alerts set up so that you're aware of anything that might have gotten in there and you can it's just a whole bunch of like what like a word like, you know buttons and knobs you just turn them up turn them down for various risks and things you want to yeah everything everywhere is different yeah. you know <laughs> it, it is but i mean this like the initial stages that we go through when we're doing an assessment of performing some sort of a mini threat model if you haven't done a formal one is super important because that's where those knobs get turned, right? Like right. it may be that you don't care about, you know, user enumeration for the, for the app. And so, right, like don't spend time on that authentication piece, like spend time where it makes sense. You know, yeah. Testing yeah. pens and turning knobs. Yeah, exactly.
All we do is turn knobs. That's weird. Yeah. Anyway, uh, good discussion today. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think we've got a hard stop. All right, I have a hard stop. It's my fault this week. But um, catch us online. Send us an email if you want some swag. I already got a couple. Yeah. So I'll be sending that stuff out this uh, within the next few days. And let's see what else. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we we do have some announcements that are coming up and some things in the works as far as you know, conferences and other things that, yeah, just watch this space. But um, yeah, reach out, get involved. Anything else, Ken? Thanks for watching and listening and all of that. Uh, thank you for your participation. I am working on scheduling people. That's been my fault because I've just I've been overloaded, man. It's just been too much going on, too much going on. I was lucky to get sleep. That was almost eight hours the last two nights. So it is It is just uh, it's new puppy related mostly. So um, yeah. That's Anyways. Yes, but okay. Yeah, it's like... I don't want to use the term. It's like a new baby. Cause I've had a new baby. It's not the same, but it is similarly difficult and challenging in the amount of attention you have to spend and the lack of sleep that you get. So anyways, excuses aside, I will start scheduling guests. Uh, I have a few people. Thought, actually, uh, we do have, um, one I'm really excited about next month, uh, on actually, I don't even, basically if you're interested in threat modeling next month is going to be a great month. So April, Later part of April, it's going to be dope. So, yep. Cool. Good times. All right. We'll see everybody next week. Thanks again for joining. All right. Thanks. Bye.